Today on the Four Star Podcast, we have a very interesting interview with two real estate experts that work for Baron Warner here. Uh, they're very close to us, and you'll find out how close. Uh, but they will give us some insight as to uh, what's going on in the residential real estate market. Uh, we're hearing that uh, prices are going up. It could be a supply shock. It could be money chasing pro- properties. We'll see what they have to say. Uh, and then we'll do our normal podcast interview with me and me and Chris Reardon, and then we'll do the interview with Laura and uh, with with Tripty Castle, uh, Laura Laura Ellison Tripty Castle. So why don't we just get started here for the podcast uh, for today? Today is the eighth of October. Let's go for it. Okay, everybody, welcome uh, to the Four Star Podcast today, the 8th of uh, October. Uh, we are back to do our full review, and I'm here with me today, uh, once again, is Mr. Chris Reardon. Hello, everyone out there. Welcome, Chris, uh, to the podcast, and everyone knows Chris is our Four Star Director of Development, Master of All Things Portfolio. He's the Advisor Support Leader, and uh, he is a fan of the Cleveland Indians, and apparently the Browns are playing well again now. I don't know. But uh, anyway, welcome again to the podcast. Yeah, it was a uh, sad, short uh, MLB postseason, I think, for all teams uh, in the Chicago office. But uh, football teams are looking up a little bit. There we go. Uh, And I'm Brian Castle, founder and CEO and CIO of Four Star Wealth, Eagle Scout, trustee of the National Boy Boy Scout Foundation, philanthropic advisor, and uh, uh, Evan and Quinn, uh, my sons, and Tripti are the uh, chief I'm the chief of that operation. Anyway, um, welcome to the podcast. Why don't we get started? Um, if you like what you're hearing, just by way of reminder, tell your friends to hop on the podcast. We're now putting these out over Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, and of course our regular list as well. Uh, and then uh, give us a five out of five ranking if you can also. That's always important. So, um, so Chris, why don't we start in with our discussion of the markets and the economy and then what we see out there. Uh, what has changed since our last podcast about the markets? So from an asset allocation front, um, not a whole lot. Uh, we, I think last podcast, we had a big jump. We had a lot of moving around. Uh, really what we've seen is, a, I would say, a continuation of the same. Uh, domestic equities still holds the number one position, uh, and it continues to gain. Uh, I'll be a little bit slower than what we've seen before, but it is continuing to move upwards. It's at 253 tally points for reference, and that's at uh, the number one spot. Fixed income is in the number two spot. Um, It's moving up slightly, although it has slowed even more than domestic equities, and it's at 229 tally points. So uh, both domestic and fixed income are in the 200s, I guess you could say, and they're the only two there. So it's a two-horse race, I would say, still Mm -hmm. for that number one and two asset classes. Um, Then rounding out the top three, you have cash, um, cash is at 198, so it's just sitting below that 200 level um, from a tally points uh, perspective. And then um, it was equal since our last podcast, so that's really stalled out. Currencies is in the fourth position at 160 tally points. And then you have commodities in the fifth position, uh, 126 tally points, and international equities at 112 in the last position. And both the commodities and international equities have taken probably the, the most um, downward movement, the most hits from a tally points perspective mm-hmm. over the last couple of weeks. Uh, we're finally seeing commodities equal out a little bit. Uh, it actually had plus two from the last time we spoke. 
Uh, but international equities continues to move downwards. It actually was minus five. So we continue to see weakness from the international perspective and commodities have, uh, have kind of stalled out um, and moved back downwards. So we've had, we've had a little rally in that commodity area and the international stock area down at the bottom, Chris, right? Mm-hmm. But now we're having the classic fade. Yep. Oil's fading, gold breaks to a new high, historic levels, right? Yep. But now it's fading as well. So maybe it's just a pullback or maybe it is a fade. Yeah, and I think there, there's a lot that we don't know. I, I think the, the key there is uh, with commodities, we saw this, I think it was a couple weeks ago or even a month ago going back, it was in the about 150 mark from a tally point level. Um, and in the last six months, oil, which has been notorious, has just been getting kind of beat up, you could say, from the commodity level, mm-hmm. uh, mostly due demand issues. There, there's a lot playing into that. Uh, but gold's always been that... Um, the buoy with that. It's kind of been helping it out and keeping the commodity level up. Uh, but we've really seen as of late um, the commodity or the gold market kind of fading a little bit. Um, like you said, it hit new highs um, and people are getting a little little less bullish on it in the short term at least. Yeah. Well, and then number one, it consistently has been U.S. stocks. And it's been that way for all but a couple months of the last 11 years. <laughs> so it continues to be number one. And uh, that kind of plays into the fact that even though we're in a really bad p- uh, pandemic around the world, we're coming near the end of it or out of it, near the end of it, whatever, whatever you want to say there, clearly the U.S. stocks have still been outperforming everything and the U.S. economy has still been outperforming everything. So as bad as things have gotten here, because we did a, a self-inflicted uh, recession, uh, we've recovered and we're, we're still performing a little better than most of the other nations in the world anyway. Yeah, I mean, I think the key, and that's why it's really important to look at these, is the key is, you know, even if we are doing bad, are we doing bad relative to other countries around the world? Mm-hmm. And if, you know, relative to other countries, we are still doing better on a, on a you know, on a bad basis, I guess you could say, um, you know, we still look pretty good. And I think the one thing the U.S. has going for it is we still are kind of that bastion of safety, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. from, from markets. I mean, you have countries like the European Union, or I guess not countries, but coalitions, European Union. You also have countries like China, um, who are also seen as kind of the big um, you know, 800 pound gorillas, kind of the big countries and the big unions out there. Um, but there's a lot more uncertainties with those countries and a lot more uh, fear out of, you know, another collapse or things like that. So it's so the one benefit the U.S. has going for it, especially in the short term. Yes. No, it's interesting. Um, you know, one of the questions we've been getting from in certain investors is, you know, number number one position has been U.S. stocks, and number two has been fixed income. But everyone knows that over time, bonds don't grow that much. Stocks will grow. So over time, stocks have averaged rates of return of 10% on average with the S&P. But bonds don't grow that much. They may grow an average of uh, you know three to five percent over a period of time. Now rates are really low. But why are bonds up there right now? That's just because rates have gone from whatever level they were at to next to zero. And the yield curve has gone way down. So bond prices go up. So it's the reciprocal, right? Mm-hmm. So th- to believe that, that bond prices will continue to go up at the rate they've gone up for the next couple of years, as much as they've gone up this year, there's nowhere for rates to go, right? They're down near zero. So it's going to be hard to see getting a lot of return out of out of bonds right now, but they're still outperforming cash, commodities, currencies, and international stocks, but that's got to change at some point. And as rates rise, unless you have floating rate bonds, 
um, your bond price is going to wane and not do as well. So it'd be hard to see, you know, at this point to be a huge big bond buyer unless you're just buying them for safety. But if you're trying to get a big return, like stocks over time or international or do commodities or whatever else you're trying to trade, it's going to be a little different because they just don't function that way. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, the reason that fixed incomes in that second position shortly followed by cash, which we've talked about this year when we were talking about those are the two really defensive asset classes, you could say. Sometimes you have commodities eke up there if gold's getting, you know, it was really driving up. But the primary two are currencies or or, um, cash and fixed income. Uh, So, um, you know, I think that what that would say is there still is trepidation. There still is a little bit of sense of fear out there. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that domestic equities is the number one speaks what we talked about just mm-hmm. before, the, the idea that what now what people are viewing is the flight to safety of cash, fixed income, uh, followed by the flight to growth safety, I would say, from those like growth US. perspective, yeah. is the, the U.S. is the safest of those growth assets. Amazingly, classes. we're still seen as that. <laughs> yeah, we're seen as the safest there. So, um, you know, I think that that's what, what's really driving those top three right now. Absolutely. Well, and then the market seemed to shrug off that really dreadful presidential debate a couple weeks ago. Uh, it, it was not a good debate. Both sides were arguing and fighting, and the president was very difficult. Uh, and then, of course, just after that, uh, the president gets COVID and the market goes down and then it came back. So the first lady and all these senators and all these other people are getting COVID. Now, now they seem to be that seems to be normalizing Trump's back in the White House. Uh, so anyway, just a lot of little things hitting the markets here. But markets seem to come back. The economically sensitive stocks are working. Um, but we're at a point, though, that it's going to be very hard for government spending and stimulus plans to do a lot more. So we'll talk a little bit more later on that in the podcast. But Chris, you've got some really interesting numbers on the different numbers in the economy, yep. right? Okay. Yeah, so um, a lot to unpack here. Uh, we had a lot of numbers come out since our last podcast. Uh, the first one to highlight, the U.S. trade gap uh, it widened actually 5.9% in August. What does this mean? Uh, the trade gap is a measurement of in- imports versus exports. Uh, so what this would mean is we imported more than we exported um, during that month, and 5.9% would be kind of the, the difference there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, not too much of a surprise, I guess you could say. It, it is a little concerning that we aren't seeing exports pick up, uh, but there's a lot of underlying factors that could, that could go into that. Uh, so it's definitely something to keep an eye on. Um, you know, that is the that 5.9% widening mm-hmm. um, is the most since 2006 that we've seen, um, just to give you some reference and numbers. Um, so th- that's something definitely to keep a look at. Uh, but on the bright side, U.S. Um, services activity, uh, this is the um, from the Institute of Supply Change, Supply Change Man- Management's uh, non-manufacturing index, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Um, so what this measures is kind of um, the activity in uh, industries such as travel, Healthcare, uh, restaurants, real estates. So really, the non-manufacturing industries. Services. Yep, basically. services. Right. So that was up uh, fifty to fifty-seven point eight in September. It was up about a point uh, from August. Mm-hmm. Um, and to give you guys some frame um, framework, is anything above fifty is expansion. Mm-hmm. So those are st- still expanding. Um, there's a lot that goes into that. I'm sure there's certain underlying areas that are doing better than others, but it's still positive that we're seeing expansion in the mm-hmm. services industry. Uh, U.S. personal income fell 2.7% in August. 
Uh, that's to be expected. We've talked about this before. We mm -hmm. had those stimulus payments. A lot of that uh, trail off at the end of July. Um, but despite that, we still have uh, personal income is still up 2% from February levels. Mm -hmm. So you might be thinking to yourself, how do we have this big drop off, but we're still from a personal income perspective better than we were pre-pandemic essentially. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of that is because there, even though we had some stimulus payments drop off, there's still a lot that goes through to till October. A lot of the um, payment protection programs, a lot of those programs are still in effect. So uh, it's really, I'd say mind boggling to imagine that personal incomes are actually up 2% with all everything, you know, with COVID, with, you know, all this fear and everything where people are technically better off. Well, and, and I would say that if you want to look at an economic number that will, will show you what government stimulus programs can do that would reflect government stimulus programs, it's this number right here, right? Mm -hmm. So personal income numbers were very strong in February, right? As the economy was very strong. And then of course we, you know, create our self-imposed restrictions because of the COVID and the personal income numbers would have been terrible, right? If we had yeah. not had stimulus. So what if we normalize those numbers from the summer down for the stimulus payments that came in? We might not have seen, we saw personal income numbers up 10% in May. Yeah. Huge be, numbers. That was all stimulus. It'd be terrible. That probably. was all PPP. That was all the $1,200 checks, right? Yep. So, so the personal income numbers would have been pretty dreadful. Exactly. It's a, it's a good thing to point out that, you know, these, it's, it is due exactly to these stimulus and you know i think we'll talk, go in a little bit uh a little bit more into detail about this later but the the concerning thing about that is the stimulus payments aren't aren't a long-term solution and it's not something that um, is sustainable long term so mm -hmm. uh, it is something we will want to monitor uh, but it really does show the, what the impact that the government can have mm -hmm. on personal income uh, consumer spending, um, this is, a, I think, a great example. We always talk about the, the Nike swoosh gets thrown out a lot. Uh, this is a perfect example of a consumer spending. It was up 1% in August, so still positive. Right. Still positive from that standpoint. But um, to give you the numbers, it was up 9% in May, 7% in June, up 2% in July, and now 1%. So we have seen that initial major bump off the bottom, and now it's kind of stabilizing out. Decelerating. Yeah. We're decelerating a little <laughs> right. bit. So. Yeah. Uh, it's a perfect, um, you know, I think showcase for that. Uh, the Institute of Supply Chain Management Purchasing Managers Index. So this is what manufacturers are purchasing. Uh, registered at 55.4 in September. So that's positive. Mm -hmm. That's expansion. Anything above 50 there. Um, one of the surprising things, and this is the last tidbit I have for the economics uh, that I have, is the Consumer Confidence Survey from the Confidence Board, which is one of the private research groups that kind of does this research. Uh, their index jumped to 101.8 in September from 86.3 mm. uh, in August. So that's a big boost up that, you know, the people they interviewed or, you know, they uh, surveyed uh, were feeling a little bit more confident coming into September from August. Mm. Um, that's good to see. And hopefully that translates into uh, more spending, more, you know, people moving around, people spending money and everything. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out as we get into the, you know, now into Q4, October, November, December, and end the year. Uh, can that keep up? Can people still have that confidence coming into 2021? Uh, and hopefully if we can do that and we can kind of get a little more resurgence in the economy, we can kind of bear with this and mm -hmm. maybe, you know, break ourselves back out of this, um, this slump. Absolutely. Well, so a lot of interesting things there, Chris, in the economy. And coming up, we're starting to see huge layoffs now. Mm -hmm. 
So, who was it? Disney had announced? Disney came up with 28,000 theme park workers they're going to be laying off. Um, the American Airlines and United Airlines, uh, they're expected to cut 32,000 jobs on October now. And then Allstate, um, one of the ones I picked up, they plan to lay off 3,800 employees. So, um, no surprise. I mean, the big ones, the airlines mm-hmm. kind of telegraphed this, um, I think even a month ago now, that they were going to have some major layoffs in mm-hmm. October. Uh, Disney's, I think, was, wasn't telegraphed as much, but that's not much of a surprise. Um, I read article after article about how the Disney theme parks didn't see as much inflow as they would have expected mm-hmm. um, from people both at Orlando and the California park. So um, I don't think there's any surprise. These are definitely two industries that were heavily, heavily impacted by by the pandemic. So, um, But th- this is just the tip of the iceberg. Um, we're really going to start to see a lot more of these come out, especially in the month of October. And the reason October is, you could say, special is because this is when a lot of the payment protection programs, uh, this is the, the tail end of it. Mm. So those are up now. Um, there hasn't, as of right now, there hasn't been any new um, new legislation put out for that or new uh, programs, I should say. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, right now that's that's what they're kind of projecting. Some of it's posturing to a degree. They're trying to get the government mm-hmm. to, to, you know, put out some more uh, more programs, but um, we haven't seen anything as of right now. Yes. Well, and so now we're getting to the point where companies are no longer to keep able to keep things going because of uh, economic activity is slow, Disney is laying off folks, I've been doing a little bit of travel lately. Notice that people are coming back to the airlines, but not enough to keep them from doing big layoffs. In fact, they even put it out there that's saying, hey, if we get stimulus, we'll keep all these people on. But, you know, in the short run, if they don't, we've got about 10,000 people here and 10,000 people here. And they're like kind of telegraphing it. So mm-hmm. give us stimulus or they're gone kind of thing, you know, which is really a shame. Um, and. You know, the other thing that's going on is now, can we keep doing stimulus payments? And we talked about that, I think, in another recent podcast that, you know, stimulus payments come from the government and the government isn't raising as much tax money as they were. So we're probably going to run a little larger deficit for our regular budget. But all the new stimulus payments are debt that's added on. So we've already done north of three trillion of spending. It was supposed to be four, but then they couldn't come to an agreement. And right now there's a gap between one side that wants two to two and a half trillion in spending of new stimulus and then the administration wants only 1.4 well then they couldn't agree then the president cut off negotiations and now he's coming back and looking for smaller deals like on the airlines and this and boom 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 all these little Mm -hmm. side deals and the other side is saying they're not going to agree to that right so that's all short-term baseball to some extent because eventually that's all going to be added to the debt and since we've been adding that much debt so quickly that we can't continue to add debt at that level. Um, everyone knows that up until the 90s, the entire debt of the American, uh, in, in American dollars for the federal government was only about $5 trillion. And we thought that was a big number. Well, now it's $26 trillion. We've added three just since March. Mm-hmm. So uh, if they do come to an agreement, they're going to add another trillion. There's not enough ability to borrow anymore. Right, we're we're at a point where we can no longer add at the same rate, so stimulus has to end. So we've got to find another way to get our economy going. So maybe we need to open the economy. Maybe we need to do need to do other things. But at this point, 
part of the reason we had the dollar weakness this summer is people are wondering, hey, are these guys going to keep adding debt at this level? Of course, we've added debt faster than other countries that have normally been much more indebted than we have. Yeah, I mean, we've thrown out um, Greece, Japan. Um, I mean, it's it's a little staggering, and it's actually playing out uh, in the bond market right now. You have your own kind of, you know, you hear these different um, uh, surveys as far as who political surveys, who's going to win the election, things like that going on out there. But the markets kind of have their own survey going on, uh, and the bond markets, and specifically, and uh, we've seen yields, um, like Brian said, as people sell bonds, yields tend to rise. And we're seeing yields, especially long-term yields, so 30-year Treasury bonds, rise as people are making the bet that if Democrats win, spending might increase You know, with mm-hmm. what they're projecting right now. And if that increase happens, then the bonds might be worth less because, obviously, if we're putting on more and more debt, the possibility that the default could happen or something starts increasing you know Mm -hmm. that's credit right that's Mm -hmm. uh everyone has a credit score most of that's based off of hey are you able to pay this back you have a ton of ton of debt on your books and you can't people aren't gonna want to buy your debt because they're afraid that you're not gonna be able to pay them back so we're seeing a lot of this play out interestingly enough in the um the treasury markets right now as we speak and it's been going on the the fixed income and bond markets have been going a little crazy uh both over this and over the stimulus, because the stimulus, like you said, would add another trillion, whether it happens or not. Mm-hmm. So um, it really does. I don't think people, it's one of those underlying things people can't necessarily conceptualize, uh, but it really will have a, a big impact on the uh, U.S. market and especially the fixed income market. Yes. Well, so so clearly um, all these things need to be worked out. And, you know, the, we're not going to attempt to weigh in on on the medical side of the virus because we're not medical experts obviously but clearly uh, something needs to happen to get commerce back to moving the only you know the best stimulus program is a, is a job basically so if there's a way we can get commerce going and 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 find new ways to run this we know a lot more than we used to do so maybe there's an opportunity to, to make make things happen uh, now in the debates we've seen the president and and joe biden Basically, what we got out of that debate is they don't like each other very much, and they didn't agree on very much. <laughs> and it was kind of a nasty debate. So I didn't, I didn't learn anything from that debate. Did you? No, I mean, I think the debate was more akin to like a debate for a fifth grade school president than <laughs> actually that might be a little more civilized in some manner. Which is quite a shame. Although last night we did see a debate between the vice presidential candidates, the current vice president, and then... Uh, and then uh, Kamala. Kamala Harris. And, you know, so the one thing I did see there that needs to be squared, you know, the one side is looking for growth and looking for, you know, keeping taxes low. The other side is saying they're going to raise taxes, and we heard that. But then uh, last night, um, Vice President uh, Candidate Harris said, we're not going to raise taxes on anyone under with incomes under 400000 which is basically... 90% of the public or a little bit more. So, you know, th- that's kind of a thing that needs to be worked out. Um, we talked in previous podcasts that just the election of one side or the other isn't going to move the market. What will move the market is what they do when they're in office. So that's kind of a confusion thing that I was left with from, from the debate last night. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, so hopefully they can solve that. The rest of it was all politics and, and you know, that kind of thing. But, but that was the posturing. But that was really the key thing, I thought. They need to decide, are we going to be raising taxes big time? That could affect the economy. Mm-hmm. Or are we not going to? Are we saying things for politics? Are we saying things to get elected? You know, what's the story there? I don't know. But um, anyway, our dollar will not be attractive 
if we don't stop, and that could be why the dollar was weak this summer. Are we going to be the reserve currency forever or not? We don't know. Um, you know, there's, the history has been that eventually major, the dominant, uh, you know, regimes, whether it be, you know, the uh, the Turks and the Ottoman Empire, the British Empire, Romans, the Romans now, the Ameri- now we're the American Empire, if you would call us, right? Eventually, all those empires fade. So we've gone on for 225 years now. Maybe we can keep it going. Uh, maybe we can keep it going a lot longer than those other empires. Hopefully, hopefully we do. Um, anyway, so yeah, I mean, it's definitely going to be really interesting to see. I think um, you know we'll we'll have to really see how it plays out. But I think the concern of me myself is that if we continue, if we continue with it, um, you know, the repercussions won't be felt for maybe another three to five years. But mm-hmm. it, there are going to be repercussions. Yes. So in what we see out there, uh, there's uh, oil mergers going on. The prices are low, and they're merging to consolidate costs. Yep. Right? Yeah, we're seeing a lot of oil mergers. Um, I mean, they're still playing out. I think week by week, I've seen more and more uh, pop up, as uh, especially in the fracking, especially the smaller um, companies, or they're trying to join together, you know, kind of combine for a larger company, or you're seeing some of the really, you know, Exxons, the really giant oil companies come and just gobble up some of the smaller ones. Yeah. Well, and then we've seen a lot of other little bankruptcies. There's others that will come out, a lot of big, big layoffs. Uh, but uh, the IPO bonanza continues. Yep. So uh, the latest IPO that, we, um, that we've seen is um, Instacart is now in talks with banks to, to go uh, do an IPO. So that'll be interesting. That's another kind of, uh, you could you use the term COVID darling, but you know another uh, company that's benefited a little bit from the COVID pandemic because a lot of people haven't wanted to go to the grocery store and shop. They want everything delivered to them. Um, so that, they've benefited for sure, and it'll be interesting to see. It's still very preliminary. Uh, it'll be interesting to see kind of what, what ends up happening with it. Yes. Well, so hopefully the IPO bonanza keeps going. Uh, and then, uh, sadly, Ruby Tuesday filed for bankruptcy, and there's a bunch of other smaller bankruptcies, but that's mm-hmm. a big national name, and that was sad. So we're probably going to continue to see those things if we don't get commerce moving again in our country. And as we've we found out, there are other ways to do this. Uh, there are the, the exact opposite of what's going on here politically is going on in Israel, where the sides are in completely different sides on the, the divide of lockdowns or not. And uh, so... You know, there's a lot of a lot of things that need to be worked out, and that's why we need a good political team. Let's let's hope this election gets over with, and we get a better direction uh, once the election's over. Because now it's uh, I like to say it's silly season, and that's the election. And now it's all posturing and and uh, subsidies and everything else until we can get through the election. Yeah, I mean it's uh, the election, and I think the one thing investors, if you if you can take anything from this, is there's going to be continued vol- volatility. I think till the election, no doubt, um, and even probably following the election, um, it's just by the nature. I mean, even if we didn't have COVID and all this stuff going on, there'd be volatility now. It would still be silly season. It'd it's still be it'd still be silly season. <laughs> We'd still have that impacting the markets and everything. So, um, you know, it is what it is. I think the the key from that is. Think long term from your investments as you should be. There's going to be a lot of ups and down swings over the next couple of weeks as we get closer to the election. It's just going to happen. It's Absolutely. news driven. All right. Well, let's uh, let's pray for America. Why don't we leave it there, uh, Chris? Sounds good. And uh, everybody, stay tuned for our really interesting interview with our real estate experts, uh, Laura Ellis, uh, who is executive vice president of Baird and Warner, and a lady named Tripti Castle, who is actually my wife. 
and she is uh, one of the leaders of the uh, the retail division of Baird and Warner, and they have some really interesting things to tell us about what's going on in residential real estate. We had our commercial real estate discussion in the last podcast. Now we're doing residential real estate. Stay tuned, everybody, and uh, it'll come on in one second. Okay, welcome back, everybody, to the Four Star Podcast. And uh, just uh, in the recent podcast, we had an interesting interview with an expert in commercial real estate. And that's a very complicated area of the market now because people don't want to go to offices anymore, it seems. And so we, we had an expert on last week that talked about commercial real estate. But today, uh, on, on more of maybe a little better story, uh, we have two experts in the residential real estate market. We've got today... Laura Ellis, and Laura is the Executive Vice President of Baird & Warner. Uh, Baird & Warner is the largest independent firm in Chicagoland, Illinois, and for that matter, the Midwest. Is that right, Laura? Yep, that's right. Excellent. Welcome to the podcast. And, and then also we have uh, a lady by the name of Tripti Castle, who also happens to be my wife. <laughs> and she's here with us today. Tripti is Senior Vice President of of the uh, real estate division, uh, the brokerage division of Baird & Warner also. So welcome, Tripti, to our podcast. Glad to be here. Excellent. Well, so I'm hearing some really interesting things about real estate, and we see a bunch of national stats, and we relate it to the stock market and the bond market and everything, but um, what do you guys see going on in the real estate market? You're out there every day. Uh, maybe maybe you can tell us about your day so we get a sense of what you do. Laura, why don't we start with you? What is your day like in the real estate market that makes you an expert? Well, it's uh, I'll tell you, it's really busy these days. Um, yeah. To give you an idea of what I do in, in my role is uh, my responsibility for leading the brokerage division and I work very, very closely with a senior leadership team, um, Trip D being one uh, key member of that team. And our job, my job is really staying in tune with the market, what's going on out there, making sure that the company is strategically positioned well to take advantage of the opportunities to address the challenges that we run into on an ongoing basis. And of course, you know, this year has been quite a roller coaster ride. Um, so I work very closely with um, our senior VPs. Um, with the idea of making sure that the company's strategy is solid and that we're in sync with today's consumers, the buyers and sellers that we want to provide not only real estate brokerage services for, but we also want to um, provide uh, mortgage services as well as title services. So you're leadership across the entire con the company. Uh, I am. Great. And Tripti, I hear some of this on a, a daily basis but our listeners would love to hear what you do. Awesome. Um, so I, I also at Baird & Warner in, in uh, leadership, and I am one of the senior vice presidents. So Baird & Warner, we have 29 offices and almost 2,500 agents that serve all of Chicagoland, Chicago and the suburbs, all that area. So my role is really to work with those managers. I specifically uh, focus on 14 of the offices and those managers 
um, and to help them um, to support and lead our agents. So, you know, there's a lot of coaching and training and providing support services that goes on for those managers. And in turn, they're able to, to they're able to lead their agents who can then service their clients. Um, I also work very closely with our, um, our back office, so uh, quote unquote back office departments, marketing, IT, finance, um, so that we are doing what we need to do to provide our clients and our agents what they need um, to have, uh, you know, smooth real estate transactions. Nice. And you do a lot of training as well and everything. So you're interaction with a lot of the agents all the time. Yeah. I mean, we do a lot of training. Our office is very heavily, I mean, our company, I'm sorry, is very heavily focused on training. We think that's really, really important for new agents, experienced agents and top producing agents so they can best service their clients. So, um, yeah, so we have a very, we have a fully functioning training department that, um, that, that really provides all sorts of training. You know, Laura and I provide a lot of training for our managers. Um, and then in turn, we provide a lot of agent training for the agents as well. So both of you are doing um, big roles at a big citywide uh, company. Well, like I said, one of the largest, the largest in Illinois independent firm in the Midwest. So, uh, but you're dealing day by day with agents who are dealing with clients and buyers and sellers of real estate. So, you know, you know, presumably what's going on. So Laura, I'll put it out to you. What is going on in the real estate market? It's on fire, I hear. Yeah, it is. We're in a real boom, Brian. Uh, several months in a row now, we're posting record months. Uh, we had an all-time record month in the company's history a, couple, a few months ago where we did about a billion dollars in business. We are running about 130, 140% uh, year over year on our month's business since, you know, the probably the worst month for us was, was March. March or April, those months were, were pretty tough. We didn't yeah. see this coming, but we're in a V-shaped recovery. We are just going gangbusters right now, um, not only in the Chicagoland market, but nationally. Mm -hmm. Wow. And you mentioned something about price growth, too, as far as like... Yeah, yeah. Um, we've got um, about 102 months straight nationally, where the prices have improved year over year. And that's the record run. Wow. Uh, so this year, we're, we're looking at about 7 or 8% price appreciation over last year. It's the, it's the largest jump that I've uh, seen in a very, very long time. So people are making some big changes here. Yeah, they certainly you, are. You talked about the boom and how unexpected it was. Yeah, I mean, it was completely unexpected. I think, you know, back in March and April, you know, we, we didn't know what we were going to do. And we didn't know, we didn't know how we were going to sell real estate during a pandemic for the people who did want to sell real estate, but we pivoted and, you know, you know, Beard and Warner having been around for 165 years, we've been through a few things. So this wasn't our first you know, this wasn't our first rodeo at having to say, oh my gosh, the world has changed. You know, our first one was a Chicago fire. And then there have been several since the recession, et cetera, et cetera. But we said, okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to, how are we going to enable our agents to continue to serve our clients when they need to be served? And so we took everything virtually, uh, virtual showings, virtual closings, all sorts of things. Um, we kept our offices open the entire time safely. We kept them safely open, but to continue to provide the service the agents need. So as, as we came out of it, we said, this is wonderful. We're able to keep servicing our clients. And then we suddenly started to see the shift 
and um, the shift in the market that just went from, you know, trying to service people through the pandemic and, and keep, keep up with the business to an increased business and to having surpassed what we, what any of us thought we would do, let alone um, having surpassed what we did in 2019. Nice, nice. Well, uh, you know, it just seems like things are really going crazy right now. And a lot of it has to do with this pandemic, of course, but um, we've also seen some other real estate changes I'm hearing uh, between like owning and renting. Is that right? Who yeah. wants to tackle that one? Trip? Well, I, you know, I would just say that I noticed that the, uh, we've noticed that as much as the sale market is increasing, prices are going up. And, um, you know, we talked about the numbers of sales. The rental market has been slowing down. That's the one area of the market in Chicagoland that we've seen a little bit of slowdown. Prices have gone down a little bit and the numbers are down. So I think it sort of ties in with the whole pandemic. Um, I don't want to keep saying pandemic, but the whole mentality of, of uh, the buyers and sellers right now is that there's a new focus on home. So there's a new focus on home, more space. So I think people who are renting are suddenly saying, you know, I've been spending a lot of time in this place. You know, I might as well buy and make it something that I really want. And of course, the low interest rates. But interest rates have been low for a while and we haven't seen this type of thing. But I think that combined with the mentality of home has become so important has led people to want to buy rather than rent. Yeah, and, and I agree with everything. Oh, I'm sorry, Brian. I was going to say, I agree with everything that Tripti say, a big exclamation point on all of that. The only thought that I'll add is that, you know, housing choices, uh, residential housing choices are very much driven by behaviors and attitudes mm -hmm. and so forth. And this COVID-19 situation has had the largest impact on consumer behavior that many of us have ever experienced. And one example I have is, you know, uh, many of the animal shelters have been cleared out because people are at home and families wanted to adopt, you know, pets and children want a dog and mom and dad maybe didn't have the time for the dog or the cat or what have you and now they're home. So they're bringing pets into their home and then that's driving, in some cases, people's desire for a yard or a little bit more space. And to Tripti's point, you're homeschooling and people are working from home. And so bottom line, home has never been more relevant and it's never been more important. And people that have, have, were very much set where they were living for a long time have now said it's time for a change. And that's what we're seeing. And we believe we're going to see the impact from that probably over the next two or three years. This is not something that is just going to go no. away in January of 2021. I think it's going to fuel us for, for a number of years. Nice. Well, earlier in this virus period, we saw a run on toilet paper. So now we're seeing a, a bull market in dogs uh, <laughs> and may, maybe dog food. What do you think? It's always right. new business opportunities, right? Brian? Maybe so. Maybe we should maybe we should all gobble up dog food. Anyway, uh, and then the other thing I think we had talked about earlier and I wanted to key in on is the second home market. And Laura, I know you have a lake house and Tripti and I, you, you and I own, you and I own lake houses as well. So uh, what's going on there? Who would like to jump yeah. in, in there? I'll jump in. I just heard a national statistic from an economist that I trust. Um, and, and actually, it's through the National Association of Realtors. And they're surveying consumers, taking sample surveys all the time. And the latest data is indicating that a quarter, 25% of current homeowners are considering a second home. 
Wow. And that, and that has to do with the fact that, you know, travel has been limited um, right. to a large degree. If it hasn't been limited, well, then it's self-limited because people aren't comfortable uh, yet. And they're looking for something within driving distance in many cases or something that's theirs that, you know, they may fly to, but is their second home. Um, so we're seeing a real boom. And I know even where my, I own a lake home, the market is super, super hot. When, when yeah. we bought our place three years ago, there was a, a plethora of inventory. And now the realtor who sold us our home are, is calling, asking us if I want to sell because they have multiple buyers that would buy our house and there's no availability. So it's proving to be the case. So this is like that staycation that we've heard about, right? Everyone's staying instead of traveling. Mm -hmm. Right. Tripti, you, uh, you and I own some beach houses on the big lake, Michigan, and that market's on fire too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was just talking to somebody um, over in that area, and I know this is true. Um, I, anecdotally, somebody in the area, but statistically, it's true in many of the second home markets all over the country. Um, that uh, usually a second home market, you know, as Laura said, it, things there's usually plenty of inventory. You go, you look, you think about it, and um, there's no urgency. So things don't sell very quickly. Right now, things are selling um, at multiple offers, and there's not a lot of inventory, which Laura already talked about. But the other thing that's been very interesting is the short-term rental um, business is booming. And I think uh, it's, it's, it's almost impossible. If you want to rent something for a weekend to get away to do a staycation, you better have booked in advance or certainly, you know, tried to, um, you know, you're going to overpay for it. So, so that's, an, that's an area that, that has, um, it's just, I think it's been surprising what's happened. We got the phone ringing there, huh? Okay. Yeah, sorry, I'm trying to turn it off. And I don't know how, because we never use the home phone. <laughs> Yes. Just so our podcast listeners know, these are real recordings. Okay. Yes. <laughs> uh, excellent. Well, I know that Baird Warner is big on training in the real estate business. And I, 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 uh, I heard in our, in our pre-podcast pre discussion about some career changing and about people getting into real estate because of what's going on. I think, Tripp, do you, you lead some of that, don't you? Um, well, no, I don't actually lead it, but we just, um, I, I, well, Laura and I both lead it together as, you know, because we lead that we lead the division, but what we, we have a real estate school and what the real estate, you know, as you mentioned, Brian, we do a lot of training. So we have a real estate school where people can go get their real estate license. After that, we have an excellent, uh, real estate new agent training program. And then we have training and coaching for, um, agents at all level. And then we have a, spe a specific training and coaching program for our top producers. Well, our real estate school, uh, our classes are just selling out. You know, we, uh, you know, we have people who, you know, just are coming from all sorts of different careers, people have maybe been furloughed, maybe laid off, or maybe with, um, you know, with spending more time at home, have realized that when things change, they don't want to go back to a nine to five at an office. And so we're, we're, bringing a lot of new people into the business and the really good uh, quality people who are career changing into the real estate business. So that's been an interesting story that I think hasn't been told a lot, but I, you know, we always want to raise the caliber of the people who are in our industry and Baird and Warner really strives to do that. And I think we're, we're, we're doing that quite a bit now with all the new people that are entering the market. You know, it really seems like that there's so many job changers now because there's been so many layoffs and, as we enter the October timeframe, we're starting to see huge layoffs from businesses that now survived the summer 
but can no longer, no longer keep it going and the economies are still closed and there's not another government stimulus. So uh, people might be looking for new careers. And, and isn't Baird and Warner, your firm connected to the leading RE market? So you would have connection to firms all over the country, right? We do. We do. Leading real estate companies of the world, we're, we're a member of that group, and it gives us a global reach um, for people that are both, we can refer out to any state in the country, almost any country out there if they have real estate needs, and of course, we also take care of people transferring in or, or relocating into the Chicago market. Nice. Nice. Well, this has been a great, uh, great visit with you. And uh, thanks for being here on the Four Star Podcast, ladies. I, I wonder if there's, any, if there's any final message each one of you would like to give to our podcast listeners across the country and on five continents. Uh, Tripti, why don't we start with you? I would just say, you know, real estate, it's, real estate is, is a great business to be in. Laura and I love what we do. I don't want to speak for you, Laura, but I know you do. We love what we do. I do. And um, I think that, I think that it's a, it's, if anybody is interested in getting involved in a real estate career, they should reach out to us. But also if anybody uh, needs any help with anything real estate related um, anywhere, we're happy, to, we're happy to provide answers or, you know, support however they need. Thanks, Trip. How about you, Laura? What's your final well, message to our podcast? My final, my final message is it is a terrific time, whether you're a buyer or a seller with historically low interest rates. Um, you know, it's a great situation for buyers. Um, for sellers right now, it's a great market to sell in. It's, it's really, really good conditions right now uh, for both buyers and sellers. And uh, we are in the business of helping people. So and to echo what Tripti said, there's any real estate need at all, we really want to be there um, for the public and uh, do what we can to help. The only, oh, and one last thing, and then I'll, and then I'll add one last thing is um, the use of a professional real estate broker is at all time highs. It's 90% right. of people want to have an expert professional real estate broker by their side because it's a complicated world that we live in. And so we take it very seriously to make sure that all of our people at every level are extremely well-trained and equipped to help our buyers and sellers and, and so forth. So I'll leave you with that, Brian. Excellent. Well, thank you. Thanks. Thank you both for being on the Four Star Podcast. And let me just re remind our listeners that uh, you can do rankings of podcasts. So if you do a ranking, be sure to give us a five out of five. But if you don't want to give a five out of five, just don't bother ranking us at all is what I usually say. So <laughs> anyway, um, but uh, we, we're very interested though in your comments and uh, I'll, I'll leave it there um, for our, our great staff, Chris, Chris and Laura in Chicago, another Laura, and then uh, Tucker, Karen and Brian out on the East Coast. Uh, we want to wish everyone a great day. Thank you for being on the Four Star Podcast, ladies. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Have a great day.